We love hub. Perimenopause, I, I would say for me, there was quite a difference between perimenopause and menopause. Or now, would I be postmenopausal then if I haven't had a period for over a year? That's what I am now. So I have noticed little changes. I always had very consistent periods for ever, every month, pretty much every 28 days. I started to short cycle and eventually like skip a few periods and then quickly didn't have one. So that all was kind of a pretty fast, say, within a year, I would, I think, kind of, um, kind of thing. I had maybe a couple of night sweats, like I think in my early 40s. I remember having one once and telling my mom and she said, oh, you might be starting the change like early. And I was really upset because I never had any children. So that kind of really upset me starting to think that, oh my God, this, I'm heading toward the sunset of my youth somewhere in the darkness of my mind slash femininity. lovers to episode three of V Love Hub, which I hope you guys all know by now is a podcast about menopause. I'm Sue Delara. I'm Anne Katari. And I'm Judy DeMello. On today's episode, we're going to discuss one of life's rather rude surprises that kind of sneaks up on us women, you know, usually in our 40s or so. This would be the unwanted intruder called perimenopause. Knock, knock. Who's there? Perry? Mr. Perimenopause. Oh my God, get out of here. Well. What treasures do you bring? No treasures, nothing good, I'm afraid. But, you know, at some point we will meet Mr. Perimenopause. Actually, back in those days, I'm just going to throw this out there, you know, in my early 40s, I would have possibly welcomed Mr. Perry menopause. Well, we won't get into that right now, Sue. So let's just move on. And I want to say that because perimenopause is so confusing for so many people and so underreported that I think uh, in our last episode, Dr. Tara Allman did a really terrific job in giving us this very scientific overview of the entire menopause event. I particularly loved her analogy of menopause being the time at which our ovaries enter retirement after serving us for such a long stretch. Yeah, she was really helpful in making sense of this confusing time. I mean, there's so much conflicting information out there on how to navigate through the symptoms and all the treatments. Even gynecologists aren't always prepared with the right tools to treat women going through perimenopause. I mean, no wonder we're so confused. And then throw in all the negative cultural baggage around women aging and being past their reproductive years and no longer fertile. God, it makes you feel like a cow, like you're only put on this earth to breed. And once that's done, well, it's time to be put out to pasture. I'm so over it. I mean, we really need to change the narrative here. Luckily, though, times are changing and more and more women like us here on The Hub are saying no more shame and secrecy. 
We're not going to suffer in silence. We need more options. We need clarity. We need up-to-date medical advice. And we need a cultural shift in how society views menopause. So with that in mind, Judy recently spoke to Dr. Shahazadi Harper, a perimenopause specialist in London and a doctor who's really making waves in this more feminist approach to menopause. And what I loved about this interview, Judy, that you had with Dr. Harper is that she offered not just a doctor's perspective on this midlife change, but her own experiences of getting on this crazy hormonal and emotional roller coaster. So I think what she says could be very helpful to women who are just starting to enter perimenopause. I know for me, when I hit perimenopause, I would have really appreciated some of the information she shares. And so I just want to quickly add that when I interviewed Dr. Harper, her book, The Perimenopause Solution, was not yet on the shelves, so I couldn't discuss it with her. But I have since read it, and we'll talk about it at the end of this episode. Dr. Shasadi Harper and I've been a doctor now for sort of over 25 years more sort of in general practice family medicine but in the last sort of five to seven years really honed in, into women of perimenopausal and menopausal age because I really didn't think that medicine was catering for them or the healthcare system was catering for them. I used to see a lot of women coming in over the age of 40 kind of lost having numerous symptoms, um, not really knowing what was going on with them, feeling a bit like they'd lost their identity. And I really wanted to be that doctor that helped to join the dots for them. And I think a lot of women at this point in their life start to feel invisible, start to lose their confidence, feel that they're unattractive, not sexy. And I was single at the time. So I thought, you know, I I don't really want to lose myself during this phase. And, and I think that I thought there must be a better way of doing this. And I wanted to be that doctor that sort of brought it to the forefront because we've got a lot of living to do yet. You know, we've got the average age of menopause is 51. Life expectancy can go into our 80s, into our 90s. So almost half of our life can be lived post-menopause. And do you find, since you've started this focus on menopause, do you find that women are really ready right now to and are receptive to learning more about menopause? I think they are. In the last year, probably three to four months into the pandemic, you know, I've seen a real surge in women wanting to find out more, realising that life's not over, that they can still live a very fulfilled life. And each one of us has our own different journey. But that doesn't mean to say that even though it can be a bit of a windy path, that we can still have a positive outcome. How old were you when you first knew about menopause and knew about what you might be going through? So I suppose you always know the word menopause because of being a doctor. But I think maybe like a lot of people and not just women, I think when we are younger, when we're in our 20s and 30s, it does have very negative connotations. And you think, oh, I never want to be that middle-aged menopausal woman. But for me, um, I think a number of things or life events collided and it made me start to think about my hormones. Um, my mother has dementia, which I think very much got accelerated around the, her hormonal transitional time. So my memory for me has always been one of the one of my biggest assets. 
Um, and I lost my father um, at the end of 2015. So it was difficult to know, you know, is it grief? Is it hormones? Is it depression? What's going on? But I started to notice, I suppose, when I was about 45, 46, actually, that my memory wasn't as sharp as it was. You know, I did think maybe it was more, more mood related, tiredness related. My joints were starting to ache. And I thought maybe I'm just getting a bit old. But I, I suppose for me, it was around that time, you know, 45, 46, which was about sort of four or five years ago, that I started to notice that there were changes going on in my body. And even it took me a little bit of time to connect the dots for myself. Because I think, as with many other women, we often think of that menopausal woman as being much older. You know, it can't possibly be me. Why do you think there is that we have this huge taboo around menopause? I think because it signifies the end of fertility, I think, you know, the narrative on menopause has always been quite negative. You know, grumpy women, irritable women, moody women, hot flushes or hot flashes, as you say, over there. And I think that it's associated with that being unsexy, dry, past it image. And I think perpetuated by media, it's perpetuated, I think, by men. You know, I think they've created this narrative. So I think that's why there's a lot of taboo around it to sort of say that you are a woman in perimenopause and menopause. I think people might see you in a negative light or find her unattractive. So I think you know, if people don't talk about it openly, and because we don't talk about it openly, even though every single woman goes through this throughout her life at some point, whether or not she has children or not, every woman goes through this stage of life. I think you know we just kind of brush it under the carpet and hope that nobody will notice. Yeah, it's so true. And I think in, in the US, I've found that it's such a youth-focused culture, you know, it's it's all about being young, that I think um, menopausal women definitely get swept under the carpet. I don't think it's just US. I think um, in a lot of Western world, it is very much a youth-focused culture, whereas I think, you know, you go into societies like Chinese or Southeast Asian, where a woman coming of this age becomes a wise woman, an experienced woman, an elder in the community, no, that's true. How old do you think young children or children should be, men, boys and girls should be when you start talking to them about menopause? Well, I know here in the UK, since um, the last school year, we've been talking about teaching it within schools as part of the sort of social curriculums. When you're learning in biology about the reproductive cycle, you know, we need to know about all the stages of the hormonal cycle. And this is one of the stages. And I think it should be taught in secondary schools, along with sex education. People are told about how not to have babies, you know, contraception, about fertility. But we also need to be taught about this hormonal stage and not to be taught it in a negative way and just say, this is a stage. This is what can happen. This is how long it can last. You're not going crazy as a woman when you're going through this stage and you're not alone. And I think that's why it's important women talk about it. I love the fact that Salma Hayek has spoken up about her menopause and talked about the fact that women's sexiness should not be um, judged on her fertility and menopause doesn't mean the end of sexiness. And I'm very much with her on that. In fact, I probably feel the sexiest that I've felt in all my life, actually. Yeah, you look, you look sexy. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. But I think it's about knowing, understanding and also valuing yourself. And I think as women, sometimes at this point, we can enter into a quite a dark zone. I remember reading 
Milan Kundera's book, Identity. This woman was walking down the street. She said, men don't, don't look at me anymore. And I remember thinking, well, what does she mean by that? But I now understand what she means by that. She feels invisible. And we just need to know how we manage this stage in our lives and, and how we can. It's not an easy stage, but I'm saying how we can, you know, use supplements and hormones and exercise and how actually I think that this point in our lives is a really good point to sort of grab the bull by the horns and really look at our own health and wellness and well-being for the future. Well, to that point... Where do you stand on HRT, hormone replacement therapy? So I kind of think of it as more as hormone supplement therapy because I think it's about adding back a bit of hormone, topping up. I, I'm very much about um, sort of looking at the benefits versus the risks for each individual woman. But I, I also don't think that medication is a magic wand in the sense that you do need to look at your lifestyle, your diet, how much you're moving. And I often talk to women that you've got to go and do your own homework. But when it comes to hormone treatment, I think there's been a lot of bad press about it. I think it can be a game changer for so many women, you know, particularly in the workplace, helping them with their memory. And that's one of the reasons why I would say, you know, from the point of view of memory and brain fog, that I'm very much an advocate of it because I do feel in the long run, it may well help towards sort of slowing down dementia. I know very much that it also helps with prevention of osteoporosis and uh, reducing heart disease risk. So hormone therapy, whilst you can help in the here and now with your hot flashes, your night sweats, but also in the long run, if started at the right point in your life, help with heart disease, you know, lowering the risk of that and osteoporosis. So yeah, so I'm an advocate of it. As long as you're on the right balance, as long as your personal risks and benefits are weighed up, because I think, you know, it can really be a game changer for so many women. And what is the right time to to start it for to prevent heart disease and, and all those things? So from an evidence-based perspective, the studies have shown that if you start hormone treatment within 10 years of your menopause, under the age of 60, then actually that is the best time to start it. Once we get older, our risk for everything increases because age is a risk factor for breast cancer. Age is a risk factor for um, heart disease. So starting around 10 years of your menopause, it doesn't mean to say, though, that once you're over 60, you definitely can't. But then it's an individual conversation again, looking at, you know, is it suitable for you? And do you understand that these are the risks, you know, and these will be the benefits that you get? So, yeah, within 10 years of your menopause. And what are, what are some of the alternative treatments that you provide? So from an alternative perspective, it really is sort of thinking about exercise or, and movement, increasing that circulation, that blood flow to your brain, and also weight training and strength training to help build muscle um, and also for, for bone health. So, you know, looking at the things that you might have heard throughout your life from your doctor, you know, exercise more, you know, eat oily fish, you know, cut back on red meat, um, stop smoking, reduce your alcohol intake. Those are a given, you know, and that, that is something that you need to do for all aspects of your health. But, you know, sometimes taking supplements which have got phytoestrogens in it, you know, which are plant-based estrogens, um, isoflavones, um, black cohosh, red clover, you know, certain herbs like sage can help with hot flushes, 
ashwagandha, with stress and with libido, because not everybody can take hormone treatment, for example, women with breast cancer. So we have to think about all all women. um, And I'm very much about menopause being an inclusive time of life. It's not just about treating one group of women. It's about treating all women. Uh, What about the treatments like the Femilift, which I think helps vaginal dryness and things like that? So now what's that all about? Oh, yeah. So so that is something that I have in my clinic. And I and one of the reasons for getting it in was because, um, you know, women with breast cancer who can't take hormones like estrogen and also breast cancer treatment, one of the you know, sort of very major side effects can be dryness. So vaginal dryness is something that I would say two thirds of women experience. That's because of the decline in estrogen, making the sort of vaginal environment, thinning the walls of the vagina. And it can cause the vaginal walls to actually contract, make your vagina shrink uh, and shorten. It's laser treatment. So it helps to, it's the same kind of laser treatment that we have used for a number of years on facial rejuvenation, which what we're doing is stimulating the collagen, the elastin, the lubrication cells within the vaginal walls by a carbon dioxide laser and thermal heating. So it helps to boost the sort of plumpness of the vaginal walls and help to support the pelvic floor because one of the other symptoms that you can get with declining hormones is that your pelvic floor muscles are not as supportive. So you might find that when you cough, you sneeze, you might leak urine, you know, and especially if you've had children as well. You know, I remember when I was going through perimenopause and my I was at a gynecologist checkup and when we were talking about sexual health and well-being and she said to me, she used the phrase, well, you've got to use it or lose it. And since then, of course, I've done a lot of research and read some books and I've come to believe that that phrase is a horribly outdated and patriarchal way of saying that we need the penis to keep the vagina happy, which is not actually correct. There's a doctor here, Dr. Jen Gunter, who has written a lot about menopause. And I love what she says in one of her books. She said, it's a penis, not a magical wand. (laughs) I do say use it or lose it, but I say you don't need a penis for it. You know, you definitely don't. It's about having an orgasm because an orgasm helps to stimulate the blood flow. I very much advocate to women go away and do it on their own. It's about self-care. It's about rediscovering yourself. It's about connecting your mind and your and your body together. But, you know, you don't need a penis for an orgasm. Yes, I can see where she's coming from, but I'm totally the opposite in the sense I'm very much about sort of female empowerment and saying, you don't need a penis for it. You can do it. You can do it on your own. So it's really about keeping orgasms alive. And so that helps to stimulate the blood flow to the vaginal tissue and all of those things. But now orgasms sort of decline around this age as well, right? So again, because we talk about vaginal dryness because of drop in estrogen, but the drop in estrogen also affects our external genitalia. So our labia, and our clitoris. So you can get clitoral shrinkage. Um, So what we need to do is to keep the external environment sort of um, alive, if you like, and and sometimes some estrogen cream or some vaginal moisturizer. And again, you know, I sometimes talk about sex toys and using them pressed up against as a vibration aspect against your clitoris, because what we're doing is increasing the blood flow to it. Oh, yes. 
often orgasms do weaken around this time because of hormonal change. And it's not just the hormones estrogen that is affected. It's also because testosterone levels, you know, often people think of that as a male hormone, but we as women have that. And that helps with libido and energy because that can decline. And that's why if you're not on hormone treatment, things like exercise and boosting your muscle and your strength it's important to naturally boost your own body's testosterone levels. So that's why keeping your testosterone levels boosted, using your vagina, you know, also keeping the external genitalia very much sort of um, alive, moisturizing it, using sex toys, which is something you very much do advocate for a lot of women who've lost libido because it helps them to reconnect with their body. I think we are sexual creatures. Listening to erotic stories, sensual stories, because as women, we do use our mind a lot from the point of view of sexual fantasies. It's important to reignite that as well, even to the point that sometimes I will talk to women about ethical porn, you know, looking at porn sites which have been for women, you know, so ethical porn where women women are getting pleasure sort of um, equally. I think those are important things for women to use as tools around this time to sort of re-engage their mind and their body. Can you come and live over here so we can have you in our in our group? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I have to say, you know, we're always learning. I think this is something, and that's why without chat sounding cheesy or corny, it's almost about loving yourself again before anybody else. And I think the other thing I help teach women at this point is to self-prioritize. I think we're such givers in life. We are so used to putting everybody else first and not making time and space for ourselves that really this is a time when you should make some time and space, get your hair done, get your nails done, get the things that you like. This isn't pampering. I don't call this pampering at all. It's necessary from a point of view of a woman's mental psyche because as women, I think we are very visual creatures and I think how we look and how we appear on the outside also affect mental health as well. Well, I think we've covered a, a huge range of topics and this has been so enlightening and so wonderful to be able to speak about this sub subject so openly. I think there's a menopause revolution going on and I think more women talking about it, more women like Salva Hayek talking about I think the word will get out there and I think we just need to relax and just accept that it is a, a stage in our life. We can still feel good, look good and be sexy at this point. Well, it's just been such a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. Oh, thank you, Judy. That's brilliant. Um, can I just promote my book? Oh, please. We didn't even talk about your book. Yes, please do that. The book is a 360-degree approach to women's sort of midlife health because I've written it with a nutritionist. Um, and so we've covered diet, lifestyle, health, HRT, and, you know, it's for women of all ages, although we've called it the perimenopause solution. Um, peri actually means around the menopause. So it's to help. It's for all women. And it's really to raise awareness so that you see the things that you can do. So you can have a proactive approach to it. And also for younger women so that they're prepared. So that, and they know what to do or where to go or where to seek help. We hope it will be really helpful to all women and, and also so that they don't feel alone. So I'm really proud of it.
I really found her to be so relatable and personable and I just love her rallying cry that life is not over after menopause, that we are still sexual and sexy creatures. Oh my god, of course. <laughs> totally, I agree. I love that she advocates for sex toys. Of course. So I also got her book. I'm going to start it soon. So um, what did you think of her book? What did you learn from it? Okay, so the book, once again, is called The Perimenopause Solution, and it's available now in the U.S. online and in bookstores. And Dr. Harper teamed up with this uh, leading nutritionalist in the U.K., and what they give you is a really good how-to guide about navigating through all the hormonal symptoms that you might be struggling with, and it covers everything from medical to practical to lifestyle options. And Sue, you're going to love this because they also have some hot stuff in there. Oh, do tell. There's a chapter especially for you on sex and self-love. There's even a step-by-step -step guide called your self-stimulation toolkit. Oh my God, that's so hot. Here's an excerpt from her book about masturbation. Shall I read? Yeah, but only in a really slow, sexy voice. Okay, so here we go. Start by stroking your skin on your neck, putting your fingers through your hair and keeping your focus on you. How does it feel? Look at your breasts, gently stroke them, working your way around one breast and then the other and gently brushing across your nipples, lightly, and then increasing in intensity. Allow your fingers to glide down to between your legs, <sighs> stroking between the lips of your vulva, and touch your clitoris. Stroke your legs and inner thighs. Remember, orgasms are good for your health. My heart is palpitating. Here's to my health. I think it's time for us to go. Yep, time for us to wrap up. Yeah, I think so. Quickly. Thanks, Judy. <laughs> Be Love Hub is written and produced by Judy DeMello, Ann Katari, and Sue Delara. Music by A Cloudy Sky. Post-production assistant, Max Podcasting. Please subscribe to our show wherever you download your pods. And for more information, please visit our website, vlovehub.com. That's V-L-U-V-H-U-B.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. See you next week.